0: Radical Personal Finance, episode 52. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast for today, Tuesday, September the 2nd, 2014. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host, your guide your confidant. <laughs> I can't think of any other adjectives. I'm your host. And today's show is going to be an interview with Craig Matthias from createmyindependence.com. I probably should be able to figure out some better adjectives and better uh, terms and whatnot to describe myself. I'll work on that. Note to self, mental note to self. Thank you for being here after a long holiday weekend. I hope you had a great weekend. I did had a nice time with my family and friends and really had an enjoyable time. My wife and I went out to celebrate Uh, yesterday. We went out and celebrated by eating some sugar. We've been doing this thing to try to uh, cut back. So we've been eating sugar once a month. So every month at the end of the month, uh, we go out. We we got all the sugar out of the house and stopped adding sugar to everything and decided to stop eating sweets. Uh, But every month at the end of the month, then we are going out and, uh, and enjoying some sugary indulgence. So last month was, let's see, last month was Cheesecake Factory yesterday was uh, uh, yesterday was uh, dairy Queen and we <laughs> we I thought yesterday was today it was the last day of the month i didn 't even realize it was a holiday weekend until uh, until Saturday I think it was when we realized we even figured out it was going to be a holiday weekend so we wound up having a great holiday weekend uh, and I just I took it off and decided to cancel the show that I had planned for yesterday and had a good time with my family. I hope you did too. Today, however, we're back on the saddle. I'm going to be working hard here in the month of September to bring you some really great content. Uh, today's show is going to be an interview with a man named Craig Mathias. Who is a blogger at createmyindependence.com? And Craig is a really neat guy. I actually met Craig when I was out at the podcast movement conference in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. And we wound up having a really great time together. I enjoyed meeting with him, enjoyed getting to know him. And I, as in talking with him, he is actually, he blogs some about some financial topics and then also about business. And you'll hear that in his story. But I was so impressed just with his story and with listening to him and learning from him as far as where he is. And I want to be explicit with how I say this. It's important to me to bring you access to to people that are at every stage of the journey. Uh, And what I loved about Craig's story is that in many ways and i hope this this is not meant to i want to i want to build him up cuz i really think he's an awesome guy uh this is not meant to diminish him as a person but he's just an average guy he's an everyman and to me this is what was really amazing about his story when he was telling me at the conference he's just a really neat guy a normal guy with a neat personality who had some good ideas as far as Uh, how to set out and follow his financial plan. He wasn't earning an excessive amount of money, but he's building a business now, and, and you'll hear in the interview, he started off deeply in debt and over a period of a few years was able to pay off his debt, recover from some financial mistakes, accumulate some savings and launch out and start an entrepreneurial venture. And the tips and strategies and ideas that he shares in the interview are accessible to anybody. There's nothing, necessarily special about, uh, there's nothing necessarily special about his story other than that he set a plan and followed it out. So uh, really had an enjoyable time with this interview. I hope you like it. I hope that you're able to learn something from it. So, Craig, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you being with us today. Definitely. Thanks for having me. What I'd like to start with. Share with us a little bit about your background, especially as relates to money, so we can know where you're coming from personally.
1: Yeah, so I'm about 30 years old, and when I was growing up, I really like to talk about the two financial influences that I had. They were my dad and my my grandpa. And uh, my dad was this real frugal guy that, from my standpoint, it just looked like he was a cheapskate, and it looked like he was no fun because he never would get us the the cool things that all of the kids in school had and their parents had. And then there was my grandpa who liked to have all these fancy toys. He bought all of these fancy cars and trucks and lawnmowers because he was a he was a farmer in his in his early life. And so he had all these cool toys that he liked to take care of and polish up and I gravitated towards his type of thinking about money, which was buying cool things with it. <laughs> <early> Shocking. <on. laughs> Yeah, and I, I really was kind of rebelled against my dad's way of doing things because it, uh, to me, that seemed like uh, I don't know, it took away from fun. It took away from hey, it would be cool to have all these cool things because then people think that you're doing well, and you know what I mean. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of a, it's yeah. a status thing in in society, and I. And then we a lot of things we couldn't have because of that growing up, and I so I rebelled against my dad's way of thinking. But then it really um, started changing around college and after college. So uh, I, uh, my dad passed away actually when I was seventeen. So um, that influence kind of shut down around that time, and so wow. did my grandpa actually. So they both kind of I became an adult at the same time that I didn't have these influences anymore in my life. And my mom was always kind of uh, someone that would that would take take what they would give us what we wanted mm-hmm. and so my brother i saw him getting a little bit spoiled he had a car sitting in the driveway before he was even 16 you know whereas i had to buy my own car at least at that point my dad would, would say hey you're gonna you know you're gonna buy your own car we're not giving you a car but then once he passed away my mom just gave me the car did your dad have
0: had, did your dad do a, good, a lot of financial planning Did to have insurance is that why she, she was feeling flush
1: Exactly. My dad did. He had, he had a lot of life insurance, Good. and he, okay. he set my family up really well. Great. And so my mom had the money to to take care of us.
0: What a, what a legacy. It, That's great.
1: It was a legacy, but it also spoiled us in those days, and it could have turned out pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, in at college, college years, my mom um, bought me that—she gave me that first car. Then she co-signed a loan for a second car and ended up paying for most of it. So I got that second car, which was way nicer than I could have ever bought myself for for really not very much money at all. And then went to college. My mom really helped me with that. So all throughout college, I really didn't know what it was like to have to actually pay for things. And then um, when I got out of college, I got my first job. And then I was kind of on my own um, as far as not really relying on my mom anymore. And about nine months later, I took a road trip with a friend and my brother and all the way down to California from Minnesota. We took my car, the, the paid-for car that my mom helped me pay for. I didn't mm-hmm. really realize the value of it. Well, that car broke down in, in California, and it needed about $2,000 worth of repairs. Mm-hmm. And being young and stupid, I, I was easily talked into just dumping it and buying a new one. <laughs> over, <laughs>
0: over some repair, uh, over a repair bill.
1: Yeah, because they said, hey, you know that $2,000 bill will make a great down payment for a new one. Wow. And you, you say that to a 22-year-old, yeah. and boom. It's
0: compelling. Sure. Understood.
1: It <laughs> doesn't take long to, to decide to buy a new car. So I decided to buy a new car, one that I couldn't afford, uh, and about two weeks into it, well, let's just say that, long story short, I bought a car down there, brought it back, didn't like it, so I traded it up for a better one even yet. And I had a $20,000 car, 100% financed with like a $30,000 a year salary. So just ridiculous.
0: So you're yeah. nowhere near my one-tenth rule.
1: <laughs> no, no, not at all. So that's what started it. I got back here, and I, I knew how, how big of a how big of damage that car was going to give me because I calculated how, much, how long it would take me to pay that thing off, even if I threw every dollar I could towards it, and it was going to be years. And, um, you know, given my small salary, it, j- it just really changed things because I, I never really liked debt. I guess I got that from my dad. I didn't like the feeling of having debt. And at that point, I knew that, wow, this, was a big, this is a big debt here, $20,000. And that changed things. So I, after that, I started looking around, hey, what can I do to, to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, I found Dave Ramsey. I started saving money. That was around how the did, same how time. How did you
0: find Dave? Just turning around on the radio, or did a friend help you out, or how did you find Dave?
1: I think I found him either through the bookshelves at the bookstore or he at the time had a TV show on, I think it was Fox, Fox mm-hmm. Business. Yes. He had a the Dave Ramsey show as a TV show. I found it as the TV show, I think, and then I found his radio show. That's great. Started listening that way. Um, so my story's kind of long. It's it's pretty ridiculous here, but it's throughout a bunch of years here. Um, once I bought that car, I started paying it down and then. It was that was right at, in 2008 when I bought that, so we all know it was coming up next the the recession. Mm-hmm. And the company I worked for had to lay off some people early 2009, and I had like $500 in the bank to my name wow. and twenty twenty some thousand dollars in debt, and I was pretty freaked out. Um, so that that really got me thinking about finance. So I started shopping the bookshelves and stuff. Found Dave Ramsey and. His message really resonated with me because it was really a message that I got from my dad when I was younger, which was don't borrow money. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the, the way I was raised, really. So I had that kind of internal um, way of thinking that, uh, yeah, debt is not a good idea. And, and when I heard Dave and saw his stance on that, I was like, you're exactly right, Dave. You know, I need to get out of this. Right. And I stumbled around a little bit trying to save money, you know, in quotes like a normal person would, try to cut on this and that and... But then I got slammed in early 2010. I had, I had uh, to have a double root canal done on my mouth. Um, that was like two grand. Then I, I didn't have insurance, and then I had to put new tires on my car. And I t- scheduled a vacation in. Being dumb, you know, when you're broke, you shouldn't take vacations. So basically, I had a, a month where I had, where I spent like five grand, and I only made like twenty five hundred. I was going to say,
0: how much were you earning at that time?
1: Not very much. You okay. Thirty five thousand, maybe. Okay. Um. So at the end of the month, I looked back, I was trying to save money, and then I got set back like $2,500 in one month, and I just, I blew a gasket, basically. I was like, this is ridiculous, you know? (laughs) I'm never going to get out of this. That means I'm never going to be able to, at the time, I was like thinking the American dream, right? I'm never going to be able to buy a house, never going to be able to support a family, which I don't, I don't don't consider that part of the American dream. That's something that I really want to be able to do is support family someday, and when I, when I realized I wasn't on track to be able to do those things, I just, I said, that's it. None of these things are more important than that. So I'm willing to sever anything that's not going to get me there. And I sat down, wrote down all my expenses, and basically started just put, putting lines through things. And I cut my expenses down big time. And that's really where the, the turning point of my, my entire financial um, path was. It was Memorial Day weekend, 2010. Wow, so recently yeah it was uh four four years ago
0: wow, so how much do you remember what you were spending prior to that experience and what you what you wound up after that experience?
1: yeah, I would say maybe twenty I was probably spending twenty six twenty seven twenty eight hundred dollars a month before that and then uh, and I don't think it necessarily happened all in that weekend but i I got down to after that probably averaging seventeen hundred a month okay in expenses probably yes. cut close so to a thousand bucks out of my out of my budget
0: that's a major uh, that's a major change percentage wise doesn't sound like like much if you just look at the dollar figures, but percentage wise that's a huge huge difference
1: yeah, I just started getting extreme, no more eating out, you know I was sitting at home in the middle of the summer and it was painful, but I needed to get myself out of debt mm-hmm. and it helped me I was listening to dave ramsey's show like every day after work, you know for like three hours right because <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing that the only way I could get motivated was to hear. I needed to get inspiration and motivation constantly to feed that.
0: Yeah. When I was, uh, when I was getting out of debt in college, similar story for me. Uh, I read my brother gave me a copy of Dave Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover. And I had always been kind of this financial nerd, and I always loved reading books. But I never – I was, was very much into the school of thought that, well, that is a tool. That is a financial tool. And yeah. my brother gave me a, a copy of his book, Total Money Makeover, and I read it. Then I read it again. I was like, "This guy's dumb." And then I read it again, and I read it three times. And Finally, on the third time, it just hit me that the only the major takeaway that I said was uh, that I took away from that was to hear the phrase: "If you had no, if you had no payments, how much money would you have every month?" And that just saying it that way: "If you have no payments, how yep. much money would you have every month?" It just brings such a sense of peace, you know, just that thought. And so I worked an entire year. Uh, to pay off my student loans, which I went back and found the other day, I had thought there were more, but I wound up there. I think there were about twelve thousand dollars that I had borrowed on student loans. And my senior year of college, i uh, i paid uh, th- I paid for my my classes, which I had to come out of pocket for classes. And then I saved up and was able to. Uh, write a check 2 weeks before I graduated to pay off my $12,000 of student loans and that was for me quite an accomplishment because I was I was working 40 hours a week I was taking uh, 19 hours of class each semester and studying for my senior capstone, you know, business courses and wow. what got me going what one of the things that kept me going through though is exactly like you said I would listen to the Dave Ramsey show and I would download it and I had I I did his membership site so I could get all three hours on the podcast w- without wow. any commercials, and I would listen to it three hours every day, and that was a huge thing to kind of it's, – it, it's like a trusted <laughs> friend being there encouraging you and saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it in a world where we don't usually talk to people about money. So I, I can exactly. empathize with, what you, with your story.
1: Nice job on that, by the way.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Killed it. It was a a real learning experience, but it opened my eyes. You know, the key thing, it opened my eyes to a couple of things, and it opened my eyes to seeing how if i sat down and made a plan cuz what i had to do is i had to sit down and figure a i had to set a goal and when i set the goal i said you know what i wonder if i can be out of debt before i graduate from college and i had some credit card debt t- too i forgot i had i had i had borrowed like 3 something like 3 or 4000 bucks on credit cards to get myself through school and i was putting gas and all this stuff on my credit cards and i was broke mm-hmm. but uh so I forgot. So it was like twelve grand of that, plus three thousand a credit card, plus cash, along my the what I didn't have covered with scholarships in college. And I remember sitting down and just saying, "I wonder if I could do this by the time I graduated." And I didn't really for sure know that I could, but I said, "Well, don't, I don't. Why don't I just shoot for this?" And I set this really extreme goal. Mm-hmm. And then I I had to sit down and I went to my uh, to my boss at the time and I said, "You know, I'm thinking about going back to school and and I'll cut." Uh, you know, long story short, but basically what I had to make a budget. So I sat down and and I said, I'd like to continue working for you guys, but I need to work it around my class schedule. So I got very organized and I sat down and I put out all my classes that I needed to get done, set out my class schedule. I had taken a semester off and so I was behind where I needed to be. So I needed to go to summer school and take classes during summer school. And I charted out every hour of my week, Uh, you know, the 168 hours, and I made a budget for my time, and I knew exactly where I was going to be and exactly what I was going to do every single hour of the week. And it wasn't necessarily fun uh, in this sense. I remember there were several times, because on Sunday, you know, my time, I gave myself uh, Friday evenings and Saturday evenings off, and then I gave myself Saturday afternoon for, like, rest and relaxation. And then Sunday morning, Sunday morning for church, and I gave myself until about 2.30 p.m. And then at 2.30 p.m., I had to start doing homework. And I remember being so bitter sometimes on Sunday afternoons. Uh, my, oh, where yeah. I went to school was right on the intracoastal in West Palm Beach, and I would go down to the seawall uh, sit on the water with my textbooks, and I'd be like, I cannot wait until I don't have to study on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but but even to this day, I'd, I hate to do anything work-related on a Sunday because of that, because it went so deep. But it just showed me the power. I got better grades i got uh i I got straight a's that year and i learned more and what i found was instead of being instead of in my earlier years in college where i was i felt like i was smarter than the professors all of a sudden i when i was doing my homework i found out how smart my professors were all the time it was a (laughs) it was a real turning point in my life so it was a, a real turning point wow i i you I'm interviewing you, and there I derailed it, so my point was that <laughs> i- i appreciate i can empathize a lot with your uh with your story of of how nice it was to have the voice of an encourager
1: yep and exactly that's we're we're both kind of the same mold there we we just need that yeah. you know to be able to be inspired on a daily basis because this stuff takes quite a while to get through, you know?
0: So how long did it take you? Once you got focused, how long did it take you to get out of that?
1: Actually, not very long. So I, I had made some progress by that point. So the the car was bought. I came out of college with about 6000 in student loans. Um, and I know that's not much, but let me give you a quick reason, a couple of reasons there. One, I didn't have good enough grades in high school to get into a good school a lot of straight out of high school. So I ended up having to go to a community college. I had to, in quotes, go to a community college, mm-hmm. which ended up saving me huge. I mean, the, the tuition was like $1,500 a semester. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So that's one of the reasons is I, I got lucky, kind of, by having to go to a community college. And then I had I had help because my, my dad set my mom up well and that mm-hmm. was something that was planned, or, you know, the, the financial aspect of it. So right. I, I was taken care of and I know that I, I, I was blessed to be to come out with out of college with only six thousand in loans, um, so I had the six thousand out of college in two thousand seven. Then I got myself into 20, 2008. So I was twenty five thousand in it, about summer of two thousand eight, um, and then I'd paid off probably I don't know, maybe maybe five to ten throughout that year. Or I guess this would have been been two years later. So I, I don't remember exactly where I was at around that time of May two thousand ten. But I don't know, maybe maybe fifteen thousand dollars left in debt, mm-hmm. probably. Uh, I was, I paid off my last debt, uh, by the end of December, 2010. So it was only about seven months later I was out of debt. Awesome. Seven months after I made that huge commitment to get out. And I told everybody, I said, I'm, I'm planning to be out of debt this year, by the end of the year. And they said, what, how's that even possible? But I did it.
0: All right. And I love that, you know, even just following the Dave Ramsey plan, he's very clear. Uh, if you're going to get out of debt, you need a plan that gets you out in one to two years. Now, there can be exceptions, but that one to two years is a good amount of time where you can really focus and stay committed and take whatever action is necessary to get there. And it applies that real focus. And so that's a, I mean, it, it really is, it seems to me, to me to be a real key to success.
1: Yeah, so um so
0: from there you started saving fifteen percent of your income and in gross stock mutual funds, uh you know, split <laughs> evenly between aggressive growth, international growth and in income, and uh uh growth mutual funds, right? Started saving fifteen percent, you fully funded your six month emergency fund and you worked very hard on getting rich and giving it all away, right? And so now you're continuing to <laughs> right? You're following the Dave Ramsey plan, right?
1: No, I, I basically stopped right there with the Dave Ramsey plan. <laughs> That's funny.
0: So what what then? I, and I'm cheating because I know cuz we we met at Podcast Movement <laughs> Conference. So how's that for a softball? After you got out of debt, then
1: what? Well, I actually did try to continue with his plan throughout what I thought at the time was baby step 3B. So he basically says, "Get out. I think Dave Ramsey's the best for getting helping you get out of debt. I don't think there's anybody mm-hmm. out there better than him." Oh, I don't absolutely really agree. Believe that. So I think he's great for that. And now you'll find that everybody's going to bash him on the investment t- side of things. I say whatever, you know, just go do your own thing. Like, there's sure. no reason to bash him on that. Yeah, sure. maybe he's not. That's not his strength. His strength is getting out of debt. So he's got a step after you get out of debt that that's called baby step three B, and that's basically where you you don't start saving for retirement right away or anything. You what you do is you take that money that you were piling all towards debt and you save it up for a down payment for a house. Mm-hmm. So I. At the time, I thought, hey, I think, I think a house is next. And I was so against debt at the time that I was thinking, hey, I'm going to try to uh, save up and pay cash for a house. I had this crazy idea that I could do that. And so I, I started piling all this money away for that reason. But then things started changing as far as, um, well, let's say, I think about a year went by where I was doing that. I was, I was going to pile it away probably for a house. A lot of things happened that year. That was 2011. One, I started making a lot more money at work. My income rose by twenty thousand dollars. I think that year along. Why? What did you do? Um, I just I just rocked it for the company I was working for. I was the. It was a small company. We were growing throughout the recession. Uh, we grew from about from 2007 when I started. We had about two uh, four employees, about two hundred thousand in revenue. Um when I left in 2013, we had about three and a half million in revenue. So we like over 10 x it.
0: Okay. And were you involved in sales? Like were you
1: involved in contributing I, to that revenue? Yeah, I was. I was. I was, I wasn't involved a ton in sales, but I was involved in sales. I was involved in our, in our relationships with, um, industry partners. I was involved with, I was a team leader. I was, I was the, op- I became the COO of the company actually. So I was, basically internal operations. I ran most of the internal operations and uh, things were just going well. And my That's boss just, just started dumping money at me throughout awesome. that year. It was awesome. And another thing, uh, my grandma passed away and I ended up getting a little bit of an inheritance. wasn't huge, but it was, uh, I think, around $10,000.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so a bunch of things, you know, more money from the company, More, I got this inheritance and I was out of debt all at the same time. So when you're out of debt, just like Dave Ramsey says, when you don't have payments... All of a sudden, you have all this extra money. So, throughout that year, all this money started collecting. I'm talking, you know, thousands every month or whatever. It just started collecting. And I, I just threw it over to the savings account. I didn't know what to do with it. I thought I was saving for a house. So, by the end of the year, that's about when I started my blog, was the end of 2011. So, it was a year after I got out of debt. I believe, I don't, I don't know, I probably had like 30 or 40 grand
2: mm-hmm. in
1: my savings account. Um, and I was, you know, debt-free. So that changed a lot. That changed my life quite a bit. But then throughout that next year, probably 2012, is when I kind of realized, hey, maybe I don't want to buy a house. And I got um, into this, I don't know, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. That I started reading about, um, I don't know, early retirement and freedom and all this stuff about just being able to um, do what you want with your life. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of articles out there that talk about the downsides of home ownership, which, which I really never thought about until that time when I actually had the money to buy a house. Mm-hmm. I, I paused a little bit and decided, hey, you know what? This apartment's actually working out pretty well for me. What do I need to go rush into buying a house for? I don't have a family yet. It's just me. You know, this money isn't doesn't need to be spent. Right. <laughs> and so I just decided not to spend it. And at the end of 2012... I decided to invest it in, in the stock market instead of buying a house with it. And mm-hmm. I did. I got in at a, at a good time. I wish I would have got in earlier, but uh, through and then throughout the next year, I made like another fifteen or seventeen thousand in the stock market. So basically, those few years, I completely was out of debt. I stopped blowing my money on stupid stuff. I never did raise my lifestyle again after two thousand ten. even when I was out of debt and I had and I started making twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year more. I didn't raise my lifestyle. I left it down there at about $1,800 a month. And so, after about, what was it, three years, three years after that, so we're talking about spring um, or early summer 2013, I had, I made it up to five, I had five years worth of living expenses saved. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Because it just all piled up. You know, I was, $2,000 a month or so I was transferring over to my savings account or investments. Good for you. And, and then I got to a point where entrepreneurship was always my dream and I wanted to do it. And I got to a point now where it just, in 2013, where I just didn't see any reason why it wasn't time to give it a shot. Um, I had the money. I definitely had a good enough savings cushion. I had five years worth of, if I stopped re- earning any money, I could go, go five years without defaulting on any of my bills, without going into debt.
0: It gives so that you an was
1: the I figured, what's that? I was going to
0: say, it gives you an amazing buffer when starting a business.
1: Yeah, so I had that buffer, and at the same time, the, the whole success at my job just started, basically, it went away. Uh, it just, you know, things just happen, and um, I, there's, like a, there's, a, just, there's just time. Everything has its time, and I feel like, hey, even though during 2011 I was doing so well, in the company and me and my boss had such a good relationship. You know, he was giving me raises like every couple of months that it all ends. It doesn't all last forever. Mm -hmm. So, you you know, maybe you love your job now, but maybe in five years you won't. And in 2013, I started, I was miserable at my job. So I had to leave. And that's, I pulled all these things together. I, the, the fact that I wanted to become an entrepreneur, I had started a platform. I had an online platform and built a ton of relationships and stuff. Um, and I had all this money, so I just decided it was time and I, that's, that's when I decided to, um, leave my full-time job and go full-time, just dive headfirst into entrepreneurship. And many people would probably call me stupid for doing that, but I just think I, I just had to do it, you know?
0: How long ago was that now?
1: It was just over a year ago. That was July of 2013.
0: Okay. And what's your business?
1: Well, I've been figuring that out. Um, (laughs) right away. (laughs) Right away, I really didn't have one. Uh-huh. But I, I knew it was possible that I could figure out what I could figure out ways to generate income streams. Because um, here's my goal. I want to I wanna create a location-independent business that brings in enough income to support me and my future family, and I want to be able to work on my terms, with, work with people I want to work with, on things I want to work on. Uh, when I want to work, and I don't really care what my business is. I could have five businesses as long as they're all things that I enjoy, and you know I can that allows me the freedom to do what I want with my life and um, so at first, I didn't really have a really a lot of ideas. I thought, hey, maybe I'll sell something on my on my blog, that'll give me an uh, a stepping stone to the next thing. maybe maybe I'll start something else. You know, it's. Just, I have all these entrepreneurial ideas, and I, I knew something. I could figure something out. So over the last year, I've been through an entire, a big long journey. It's been quite the year, but at at this point, I've started earlier in this year, 2014. I started a, a service business based around, WordPress development for entrepreneurs, and, I, I named the business Matthias Media, and I just started. Uh, doing WordPress development, building websites, building blogs, um, helping entrepreneurs build their platforms. And I also got into helping entrepreneurs create we- uh, membership sites. So there's a whole group of entrepreneurs out there right now that are looking to monetize their, plat- their online platforms with membership sites, whether it's an online course or it's a, a mastermind group or some, some kind of an-, an inner kind of site that's password protected where they, s- they sell access to. Mm-hmm. huge deal right now out there in, in the on, online entrepreneur space. I've dabbled into starting to create those web those membership sites for people and I've gotten pretty darn good at it. And awesome. over this last year now, let's see, what is, today is September 2nd and I've, I've made, I've generated over $20,000 in revenue this year so far. That's fantastic. So it's, it's coming to a point where it's, it's not going to be a heck of a lot farther where I'm going to be able to Actually, cash flow everything that's my, life fantastic. And my
0: business congratulations Craig that's awesome.
1: yeah, thanks. So the cool thing about this is that I can work on my terms. I get to work who I, with who I want to, when I want to, from where I want to. so I see a future full of freedom and the ability to spend time with my family, travel you know I, this is this is cool stuff I'm really excited about it
0: did you uh, when you first started like, did you find yourself? I mean, when you first quit, excuse me, I'm asking the wrong question. When you first quit, did you find yourself just wanting to sit around? Or did you find yourself getting bored and, and like needing to work or wanting to work? Or how did you approach that whole, hey, I'm sick and tired of working. Let me just sit around and watch TV all day versus I want to do something productive?
1: You know, I don't think I was ever to the point where I'm sick and tired of working, but let me give you an insight into into the reasons why I, I quit my job
0: okay.
2: um,
1: and why I didn't go get another one. Basically I would go into work every day and I would have to listen to whatever they wanted to me to work on. So it's, Hey, it's your job. And one day we had a meeting and it said values, company values. And they were like, we want you to spend 40 plus hours at the office every week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just 40, it's 50, and all this, like they basically, they want you to spend your entire life at the office, and I'm missing out on really good, good um, summer days and just beautiful days. And I could be spending time with my family, but I have to be there all the time. And there was also other things that were going on. Like I wasn't feeling respected. There was sometimes the company culture gets to a point where they they write people off for certain things. Like oh that guy, yeah, he he failed on that project, so I'm not going to give him another one. Mm-hmm. So basically, there's like this. This feeling that you are, you're kind of written off, or you're you have, you have qualities that are that aren't ideal, and or your faults just come to come to um, people. People tend to focus on your faults. I feel like, mm-hmm. and you go to work with the same. You're kind of dependent on these the same group of people, the same the same boss that maybe doesn't doesn't. Um, respect you anymore and basically you get to points at these jobs where they can really beat down your sense of worth and your your excitement your motivation you don't have it anymore you Mm -hmm. just want the day to be over Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and i i that's what i was doing i was going to work feeling like i didn't want to be there feeling like i had more value than than i was offering there um and so i knew that that was it was time to go because every day was making me feel worse and less valuable as a person. And, um, why didn't I go get another job? Well, because I wanted to be an entrepreneur my entire life. That's been my dream. I mowed lawns as a kid. And as a teenager, I had my own little business and I just loved it. And I compared that to when I was, when I got my first job at 16, I was working at Walmart and I, how do I I had to clock in and clock out? And people were always responsible. You know, I had to be there at certain times every day and, even on the nice days, on the weekends, I'd have to be working, you know. It's just, it, the whole thing just sounded terrible to me, and I really haven't enjoyed having somebody have that much control over me my entire life. So um, I forget where I was even going with this. It's an
0: interesting <laughs> point because one of the things that I have, uh, I just gave this morning, uh, early this morning, I gave a speech at a Rotary Club uh, over on Palm Beach, and uh, I was invited to speak, and I talked about, uh, I talked about retirement and the general point of the speech was that Retirement is a broken concept, and I was invited. Uh, and this this particular group of Rotarians not all not all Rotarians are this way, but this particular group of Rotarians uh, was in the I would say the upper age band of society. Most of them were established. Most of them, I would say, the average age in the room was about fifties, mid fifties. And uh, the person who invited me to speak said, "You know, we, we always loved we love to hear from younger people, a younger perspective." and one of the things that i've observed in a lot of the business literature that i read and a lot of and working with a lot of people that i uh, that i work with and that i talk to there's a real challenge a cultural challenge because everything that you just said is i don't want to use the word stereotypical but it is i'll use the word typical typical of how many uh, you know gen y and millennials think is exactly yeah. the way that you said and it seems to me i frankly do not know how companies can are going to be able to assimilate the culture uh, i read i've read some articles from human resource uh, people and they're talking about how to assimilate this culture i don't see how they can do it the only way i can see it is either either the company is the type of company that is a very Self-directed culture where you're you're given more responsibility. Nobody cares what time you come, what time you go. That's why a lot of these startups, a lot of the big tech companies, that in order to recruit, you know, attract people, that's what they've that's what they've gone to, and it's you know, it's infamous. Uh, Google is infamous for their work culture. So yeah. either the either the company has the culture or it doesn't, and. Uh, but everything that you just said just for those who are employers listening everything that you just said is something i have heard dozens and dozens and dozens of time from millennial financial planning clients and it's not so much that you don't want to be productive or that you don't want to work or that you don't want to do something or even that you dislike the work it's largely about the environment
1: agreed and that's that's where i was at i didn't i was miserable there it's not that i didn't want to work i do sure. i did want to work it was that every time i tried something i got bashed down for it and, and uh, coupled with the fact that I just don't like to have to go clock in at this time and I don't like the reason the fact that if it's a nice afternoon I can't just leave especially if there's nothing important to work on it's just that right. you got to sit there and look busy I just hate that I right. hate having to look busy when I could be doing something else instead
0: there was a book have you ever heard of a book called why work sucks and how to fix it
1: no but I've heard of it
0: I found this book. It was written back in I would say two thousand six, two thousand and seven, uh, and the authors of the book. I need to. I just made a note. I wanted to get them on the show just to interview them. I was interested in this, but I thought this book was going to be the ultimate answer to this problem that that we're describing. And in in the book, the, there were two authors. I don't remember their names. I think they were both. Um, I think they were. It was two ladies, if I remember, and they were human resource consultants. But they were talking about essentially transforming company cultures to what they called a uh, results-only work environment, R-O-W-E for the acronym, results-only work environment. And their major success story was going to be the best-buy corporate culture. And at Best Buy, they had changed. They had come in as as consultants, evidently, and had completely worked on the Best Buy corporate side. And they said, listen, uh, coming into the office at, at 7 a.m. is not coming in early, and leaving the office at 3 p.m. is not considered leaving early. And like they tried to do away with all of that and said each person has... They had one of their things, and you'd have to read the book to see how it integrates integrates in, but it sounds crazy. But one of their uh, statements on uh, their course guiding statements on their manifesto was uh, all meetings are optional. You know, nobody is required ever to nice. come to a meeting. Your job is to get your work done. Now, if your work involves you going to a meeting with somebody, you better make sure that you get the results. But we're not going to hold you accountable because Susie has decided she has to have a meeting and you didn't show up for Susie's meeting. We're going to hold you accountable to get the project done, and Susie accountable to get the project done. But I was really disappointed because I thought I was excited and said maybe Best Buy will do really well. From I haven't read a follow up, but from uh, uh, from what I've heard. I know that Best but I believe, if my memory of the news is correct, uh, there's a year or two ago, Best Buy completely revoked that. And I've not heard of another company kind of pursuing that. And it's a real wow. topic of interest for me. I'd like to speak to the book authors and see if they have any insight on what worked and what didn't. Uh, because just what you describe is exactly what... I, I think that it doesn't have to be done in an entrepreneurial environment. You don't just have to work for yourself to get that. But you do have to have the type of... A, you have to have the type of job where it is time-flexible, and then you have to have the type of corporate culture where you are held responsible for your output and for your results.
1: Um, yeah, and I had that. You know, um, I had that at, at my job probably from 2008 to 2011, and I really loved it. I'll, I'll be the first to say mm-hmm. that I love my job, but things change. So right. just because you found a job that's this way doesn't mean it's going to stay that way because things change. My boss was very growth-oriented, and he wanted to grow the business. So while we were 5 to 10 employees, 5 to 15 employees, I feel like we had this where I just loved going to work. It was very flexible. Uh, we could basically do whatever we want, and we were all really a part of the team we wanted to help grow the business. But then once you get to a certain point, then you got to implement all these policies because, oh well, people aren't, aren't coming to work. People are calling us sick all the time. Right. People are slacking off, so now we, you've got to implement all these policies, and I I feel like that's kind of what happens with bigger organizations. You've you've got so much bureaucracy that it's it just kills everybody's motivation.
0: Right, and and there can be multiple reasons. So, for example, if you're an entrepreneur, you lose. There's a certain locus of control. There's a certain number of people uh, to whom you can effectively relate. So one person yep. could effectively relate with five to seven people and know what everyone's working on, whether or not they see them or not. But now if you're supervising 25 people, you're probably beyond your ability to really understand whether everyone's working or not. So you have to have some sort of measuring you know, tracking device. And then the second is, if you're an entrepreneur and you're growing a business to sell it, one of the things that you would look at when—one of the things that you want to look at when you are building the value of a business intentionally to raise so that it's worth more money is having the business systematized. And it's a real liability for a a company if they are very dependent on an employee— so if I were consulting with a business owner, then I would say, hey, we've got Craig. He's our star guy. Okay, that's good. You need to keep Craig, but you need to have Craig write down everything he does. You need to systematize it. So if Craig leaves, we can just grab another one and plug you know, plug and play, plug another employee into that slot and give yeah. them the manual.
1: But you know what? That's, that's a terrible thing. So great. That's a great thing for a business owner, but that's a terrible thing for an employee. Exactly. Because you've been replaced. You've right. been systematized. If You're, you're replaceable. That means they can boot you out. They don't have to pay you very much because they can throw somebody else in, give them the manual, and train them. Right,
0: and, and that's why there's a constant tension between what's good for employees as the business owner and what's good for the employee. And that's also why uh, it's diff- that's why wages are pressed down because when you can, in my this is my opinion, but what is I've just observed this to be the case. If you can plug and play an employee, then you're not too dependent on. Uh, as an employer, then you're not too dependent on that employee. So if that employee says, "I'm going to organize a strike," okay, done, move, gone, next exactly. one. Exactly. So but, <laughs> yeah, so as an employee, and then and then and, and then I'll I want I'll give you the floor because I want to hear from you uh, as an employee. That's the reason why you have to develop those unique skills that are and make yourself less replaceable in order to command a higher wage.
1: Yeah, that's the linchpin, right? From Seth Godin, the book "Linchpin." Mm-hmm. He talks about this exact topic. I've and not read that. You know this exact concept, Joshua is probably what made my life miserable at the end of my career with my last job, hmm. because what I did was I was the a pretty high level guy in the company where my boss just said, "Hey, you know, do these things, develop this, develop this team," and. I went off and read the book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin, where he says these exact same things. He says, "Hey, yeah, systematizing everything is good for the is good for the business." If you go read e- the E Myth Revisited by mm-hmm. Michael E Gerber, you're gonna see. He tells you that as a business owner, you need to systematize the entire thing. Right. Okay? Then you go re- read Lynchpin by Seth Godin, and he flips that completely on. It completely flips that around and says that's going to cause your employees not to be motivated. Mm -hmm. And so he says as a business, what you want to do is you want to give your employees opportunities to be linchpins. You want to give them, you want to motivate them. You want to um, put them in positions where they can actually use their brain. They're going to be better employees that way. They're going to be more, Mm -hmm. they're going to be happier. They're going to be more motivated and I took that approach and I said, yeah, okay, we could systematize everything or we could set up our team in a way that gives our gives our team a, some motivation. We give them opportunities to grow in their role and all that. And that's I, I really restructured a lot on our team to give our employees, even if they weren't maybe the perfect fit for a specific role, I gave them the opportunity to learn how to, how to be better at that. So I gave Mm -hmm. them a wide range, a wider range of, of opportunities, a wider range of roles to, of things to do and things to grow into. And that motivated our team a lot. But my boss saw that. He said, what, why is such and such working on this? You know, they're, they're supposed to be just doing this. And basically it, it caused a big problem and, I fought back and I said, "Well, I believe that this this is what motivates them. This is we're giving them opportunity to learn, growth. Um, they have they have all this opportunity and stuff." And my boss said, "No, I don't want them to have opportunity. Right. I want them to just do their job." Right. And basically, there was this clash because I wanted to do things the Seth Godin way. He wanted to do things where we just put people in their little box and have them churn out their results without any growth opportunity. I didn't. I didn't agree with that. And basically, I got myself in some hot water there, where my boss said. You know what, Craig's, I'm not even going to deal with Craig. He just goes off and does these things, and I don't agree with them. And so basically, I just, I had to leave. So it's funny how (laughs) there's a lot of, those things are at odds with each other in in ways big enough that you can get yourself in big trouble by by executing on them.
0: Majorly. Have you read Daniel Pink's book, Drive? No, I haven't. So... You might enjoy that. I haven't read *Lynchpin*. I just added it to my to my list. But uh, I remember Dan, uh, there's an author named Daniel Pink who wrote a book called *Drive*, and the subtitle uh, was "The Surprising Truth About What Really Motivates Us," or like or something like that. The surprising truth about motivation, something something along those lines. Okay. But one of the things that he really clarified, he did a lot of research into what motivates people, uh, especially and including uh, em- employees, and. He found, and one of the things that you find hang on, my computer's ringing uh, one of the things that you find is that these with employees, employers often think that employees just want more money. But what he yep. found is that the primary drivers of what people want is autonomy, mastery and a sense of purpose. Yep. And if people can achieve autonomy, mastery and a sense of purpose, then they're able to they're able to be motivated and the external wage is less of a factor. It's not a, it's not that it's not a factor, but it's much less of a factor than a, is a sense of autonomy ma- autonomy mastery and purpose. And I think it applies directly to what you're saying is that you have that constant tussle and I don't know how to resolve it for businesses it's something I, I think a lot about it a lot, but I certainly haven't been able to wrap my mind around it as far as how you can possibly do it. I do think that maybe there's a way to combine them if you through the use of uh, technology in some way, so for example, applying the concept of systematizing everything and finding a technological way to to make those systems efficient and documented, and then Providing employees with you know or, or employees with a greater degree of autonomy and mastery and a sense of purpose but i, I don 't know i can 't figure it out I,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah i don 't know either
0: it 's something I do think about, but i 've applied it to retirement it 's interesting because i really don 't think I, I really i mean there are, yes, there are those who do want to retire, but in what I hear in your story is it 's not so much about retiring and sit around and doing nothing it 's more about having a sense of autonomy and a decision the ability uh, The example that stands out to me that I remember from, you know, why work sucks and how to fix it was they used the example of of Saturday morning, you know, that the way that we approach Saturday morning where when most of us, we have things we want to get done on a Saturday morning and some of them are fun and some of them are work, things we need to get done, and but if we're sitting down eating blueberry pancakes on Saturday morning, we're adults. We get to choose whether or not I want to sit down and, and continue eating these blueberry pancakes and do my work later, or if I want to play in the morning and work in the afternoon, or if I want to work first and play later. We get yep. to choose. But in many ways, the corporate environment seems to hamper that choice.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I, that's exactly the reason why I chose to – I choose entrepreneurship in my life. Um, I believe these things can exist in corporate environments and everything. I'm, I just don't want to – that's not going to be my path anymore. I, I know that they'll exist on my own, so that's why I'm doing this. You know? um, and I'm not saying entrepreneurship is for everyone. It's not. And you can, you can probably accomplish these things by being an employee too. It's just that I'm taking this, this other route. You know what I mean?
0: All right. So how does – so you're primarily doing WordPress development then. How does all your financial, your financial blog and your financial podcast fit into
1: that? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I guess I started it mostly as a hobby to to be transparent about what I was doing and share my success with others and build a community. And I've done that, and I continue to build that community. And I, I am struggling on how to kind of merge that in, um, because what I've found is that 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 platform uh, it's it's very people really like it, but they're not necessarily in the market to buy anything from me. And I I don't necessarily have anything to sell them. That's going to be really valuable in that, or that they're going to be willing to pay a lot for in that space. So it's been kind of a a side kind of deal. It does help me create and build my network, which is the foundation of where I've been able to build all this. I've, the only reason I've been able to build my own business is because of that blog and podcast network that I've built because a business takes, you need to have customers. You need to have a network Mm -hmm. of people. You can't exist in a vacuum and make money in a business. You have to – it's people. Business is is dealing with people. You're selling things to people. And that's how I find my people is through my activities through through the blog, podcast, and and all that.
0: It's an interesting interesting story to me because – it aligns with one of the mental models that I have in my mind is that everybody should have some kind of online presence, mainly as a portfolio. And if you have some kind of online presence, then that allows you to discover opportunity, even if the opportunity isn't where you anticipate it to be. And, yep. you know, the financial, maybe the financial blogging world, it seems to me that the financial media creation world. Is a way that some people could make a business, but it's a very tough business to build. And, and that's not the primary benefit of you know, everyone making a million dollars with ads on their financial blog, on their get out of debt blog. It's probably not the primary thing, but that, still, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't uh, do it. <laughs> Exposure creates opportunity. So it's interesting to hear you say that.
1: Yeah, so the, I mean, I, I couldn't have done this without that, but it doesn't necessarily pay my bills by itself now. Right. You know, it it gave me all the skills. So I'm talking about WordPress development and all this. Everything that I've used to to generate over $20,000 in revenue so far this year is because I learned all that because I went out and started my own blog and my own podcast and started building things. It was all that I I learned all these from that. So even if it's not going to generate, even if your project that you go out and create isn't going to generate money by itself. It's going to teach you lessons that you can then use to go monetize.
0: One of the criticisms a lot of times in the financial independence early retirement community, one of the criticisms is that young 20-something-year-old males often have this idea that somehow they can live on these tiny budgets you know forever, and they figure out and say, "Well, look, I can live on seventeen hundred dollars a month, so therefore uh, you know the 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 four percent rule says, "Well, if I can live on seventeen hundred dollars a month, I only need you know in that case it'd be five hundred thousand dollars but uh, you know let 's say I, can, I only need a hundred thousand dollars of savings, and i 'm set i 'm financially independent for the rest of my life, and a lot of older people will kind of shake their head and say, well you don 't quite know what um you don 't quite know what 's around the corner." So, but you took the leap and you said, "Well, that's okay. I've got money." Uh, What have you learned as far as taking that leap? And at the beginning, were you specifically saying, "Well, that's it. I'm financially independent. I'm not going to work," or were you just saying, "It's okay if I spend some money while I figure something new out"?
1: Yeah, the second one. And I, by the way, I never ever admit I never claimed to be financially independent because I only had five years worth of. Mm-hmm. living expenses saved up. And the 4% rule or whatever would would say that you need tw- 25 years right. of living expenses right. saved up or investments at, you know, and re- withdrawing at 4% a year. So I only had a fifth of what I actually would have needed to be financially independent for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. I never claimed to, to not be spending down. I was open about it when I did it. I said, yeah, this is going to cost me money. I'm going to have to pull it out of savings. I'm going to have to live off savings for a while but I'm gonna figure this out and my goal isn't isn't to not work. My goal is to work independently, earning my income independent of any job or employer. So my my goal was to build up independent income sources equal to that of my expenses so that I wouldn't have to dip into savings anymore. I could leave my money in in investments and I would cash flow my life through independent income sources. And so yeah, I did have those expectations. Hey, this may take a year This may take two years. So I kind of said, okay, well that's going to burn through, you know, whatever, $20,000. And -hmm. this $20,000, I'm going to set aside to, to fund my life with while I build this business.
0: I feel the reason I, I pulled that out because you did mention that earlier, but I feel like this is a theme that I don't know what to call it, but I spoke about it even just this morning in my, in my speech. And, one of the things that I'm not a fan of having all the money tucked away in retirement accounts uh, because, Agreed. and I'm interested, do you, have you invested heavily in your retirement accounts? Is all your money in your 401k? Is all your money out of your 401k? How do you have your, your money saved right now?
1: I don't have a dollar in any retirement account.
0: Interesting. So I like that in in many ways. And and sometimes I worry about getting the reputation as like the anti-IRA guy because I'm not anti-IRA. But the problem is is that if you have access to capital, and that capital could take various forms, but if you have access to capital, then you can develop other options. And just the ability to get your hands on your money when you need it without having to bend over backwards and go through all this uh, you know, rigmarole of of doing yep. some backdoor you know, account distribution, which is perfectly legitimate. I have no problem with it. Yeah. But but it's got to work in the situation. Like it's got to be in your financial plan to do that. But so many young people sometimes I've I've worked with clients and and even this was I I I made this mistake myself in starting my in starting my new business. I yep. screwed up. And I and and I uh, at the time that so a I, I saved heavily in retirement accounts and in in de- deferred in de- various deferred investments then B uh, I bought a house and when I bought a house I was very I, you know made my choice very carefully and knew exactly what I wanted um but I wrote a check for 50 grand into the house and that wiped out a good amount of my savings that I had saved yep. well then all of a sudden you know I wound up in this kind of this uh, you know a year ago wound up with this uh very mixed up uh, you know planned all of a sudden start a business uh, in a different business and close a lucrative financial planning practice and that really hurt me because i had to decide well i could pull money from retirement accounts uh, i've got a certain amount of savings but i didn't have enough savings to be really comfortable with just living on savings and so i had to go and figure out a new plan because i wasn't willing to give up on the plan but i had to go and figure out other sources of income that were going to pay my bills and i'll tell you if i had known if i had known that my life was going to take the turn that it was that it was then I wish, I sure would I sure would prefer to have my 50 grand back in my checking account because it gives you options. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. thing about it is that what I like about it is that if we, one of the financial planning concepts, I won't call it a retirement planning because one of the financial planning concepts that I think we should develop more heavily is just that if we have access to capital throughout our lifetime, then that capital can be the account that funds our activities and we can Work at a job, fund the capital account, use the capital account to launch a business. It's taking you—well, let's call it—let's say it takes you a year and a half, two years to be cash flow positive. Then in the third year, you start to be able to save money again, increase that capital account. But then, you know, assuming that business goes well, you can change in another few years and change to something else. And just having money makes you flexible. And it's a, it's a concept I think that we've lost, and, and I I've cringed because I've made this mistake with financial planning clients I I've screwed it up, and I've I've encouraged them in the past now thankfully this is a number of years ago that I can more easily admit it, but I had everything in in retirement accounts and I look back at it now and I I put too much in retirement accounts myself, uh, I I funded my Roth IRAs diligently and I've had to learn the hard way and say you know what I wish I had some of that cash now I could go get it and uh, you know, I could pull the money out of the Roth but. I often wish that I didn't have so much in retirement accounts and that I had more liquid money.
1: Yeah, and you know that's that's the exact approach I I took for the exact reasons. And I think it just comes down to preference. There there are a lot of people that would that would listen to that will probably listen to this and say those guys are nuts and Craig. That's just absolutely stupid. Why wouldn't you put money into this or that? Well, I look at all of that as. Uh, it's just controls that are being put on my money, and mm-hmm. yeah, I there is an expense for not putting my money into retirement accounts. That expense is coming in the form of taxes, sure, right? But I'm 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 okay with that. I've I made that decision a while back. Hey, what should I do with this money? I've got you know fifty grand or ten grand sitting here. Should I put this into retirement accounts, or should I put it? Should I not? And right. I decided not to because I wanted to use that money. I wanted that money to be there so i could start a business if i needed to use it to fund my lifestyle for a year or two i wanted that money to be there for whatever wherever my life took me and that i wanted needed it for i wanted it to be there and i know that just like you said if you if you put it into your 401k you put it into your ira well then you've got controls put on it you you've got to work around their schedule on getting it out you've got to wait till you're 59 and a half whatever you know you all of a sudden you put controls on your money and yeah you get a tax break, but you've got controls. It's not, it's not just a, a, it's a give and take. You're, you're giving up control of your money and you're, and in return you're getting no taxes on it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, I think we talked about this down in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. There's just no one way to do this. And I think that's what irritates both of us so much about this is that everybody says you have to put money in your, reti- in your retirement accounts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it, it just depends. It depends on, What's more important to you, saving on taxes or freedom, having freedom of that cash?
0: Right. Do you have any idea how much financially absent living expenses? But have you like have you invested in yourself to build your business? Have you bought books? Have you bought, bought yep. courses? Have you gone yep. to school? Like, have you? How much have you invested in starting your business?
1: This year alone, I've I've spent eight thousand in business expenses. Okay. Wow. So. Probably probably ten ten thousand ten twelve ten twelve thousand total
0: so the key here, and there's no easy way to make an accurate calculation of this because at the end of the day we're combining two things that are not necessarily comparable we're combining passive investments you know doing something like buying a mutual fund and the return that you could get there or the return on equity with uh, buying shares in a company and then the return on your personal equity and the return on your your sweat equity but to, if we were going to accurately compare them, then one of the things that we would do is we would compare the cost of the tax on not using those other def, you know, deferred accounts, and then the rate of return that you could earn, and then the rate of return that you can earn on your skills on investing in your own, in your own business. Uh, yeah. Do you feel comfortable that your rate of return that you can earn on your own business might be higher than what you could earn on a, a diversified index fund of publicly traded securities?
1: yeah i i think so but you know that's not really how i how I'm thinking about this right now um it's more hey if, if i earn a thousand dollars more putting this money in the the market versus my business that's it's not really what it's about for me what it's about for me is that i get to i get to use i get to have it there peace of mind um i get to have it there if i need it, which is great i love like to have my money there's just a certain peace of mind when you have cash in the bank it's it it gives you a peace of mind, and um, the way I think about it is, I just want to move my business... What's important to me is moving my business forward, um, and that's not necessarily. It, everything doesn't become about about this about making. It doesn't all become about money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes what you're doing with your life and your purpose and your peace of mind is 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 as in, is more important than money. And so I don't I don't tend to focus. I can tell you right now, I don't have any money in, even in the stock market right now. All my money is sitting in my savings account. And I know that's, you're gonna, there's more people that would say, hey, Craig, you're stupid. What are you doing? Uh, I'm not sure what, I'm gonna, what I want to do with my money right now. It's, I, I'm, I'm not stressing out about, oh, it's not making money in the stock market. Because it's there for my peace of mind, for my, I, I feel good knowing that my income is, un, is not steady right now. I know that I would freak out if the market took a tank and half my money went with it. I would freak out. Right. And this is not the time for that kind of freak out. So money's sitting in savings where it can't be dwindled away from the stock market. And yeah, I'm not missing out on some returns, but it's peace of mind. I feel comfortable and safe knowing that my assets are are, are safe right now. They're not gonna stay in my savings account for the rest of my life. But right now as I get my business started, get my cash flow built up the the big opportunity right now is not to make 10% in the market this year. The big opportunity is to take my business from 20,000 to 50,000 this year.
2: All right.
1: Market's not going to make me 30,000 this year. I mean, it could, but it it most likely wouldn't won't. That's like a really small chance, but to make 30 in my business is is very possible. So I need to focus on that and not on you know what I mean? It's I think there's more opportunity in in if I don't know if this is the question you asked, but I believe there's more opportunity to make money through a business, at least if you don't have a ton of money. If you got five hundred grand, maybe it's maybe it's easier for you to invest it and make, you know. But who has five hundred grand sitting around? Not me. Right. If you if you do, go put it in the market. You know, kick back and go retire. But if you don't, then I I believe it's probably it's a it's a good idea to just go generate income through a business, and I think that's a even a better opportunity than maybe making ten percent off your money in the market.
0: Right when you run the numbers and if you run conservative conservative numbers there's never been there's a, I don't want to make a, an absolute statement I want to make an accurate statement business is what ultimately creates wealth yep but and business is what ultimately creates wealth, and let's just use publicly traded companies as a instead of talking about privately traded companies, because there are many opportunities in the private and in, in private business as well. It's for investment, but in publicly traded companies, the big returns have usually already been made, and. That's why there's an initial public offering. So the initial public offering is the way for the generally, and this is a generalization. There are many other reasons, but an initial public offering of of the shares of a publicly traded company is made so that the founder of the company can cash out. You know, let's use like Mark Zuckerberg. Okay, he the Facebook guy, he cashed out. On his iPO and so now he 's been able to diversify his risk, but he 't he 's not going he 's never going to make as much money as he made building Facebook in the first place and yeah. so that doesn 't mean how however, if you don 't want to build business, then coming in and working in the publicly traded securities market is going to be a tremendous opportunity for you, but in general, I think it 's better to view that as a way to preserve capital and accumulate capital that's passive capital versus active capital and the, the the difficult thing is models are valuable you can come up with a model but models all break down unless they 're applied individually, so I would love to see people you know if, the, if they 're going to invest money i 'd love to see them make some distinction between passive capital, money that other people are going to be using by investing in the bit in a business of someone else and their own active capital uh, i 'd like to see a distinction between speculative capital and safe capital because sometimes you know to roll the dice on a speculative, on a speculation, it may pay off big. Doesn't mean you're going to put all your money into a speculation. But we had a we had a guest on the podcast last week. Uh, he was a poker player and he made a substantial amount of income uh, on Bitcoin. He saw it. He said, "I think this is a good speculation." He speculated on it, and his timing was good. Uh, not a real great investment strategy for the long term, but it's a good, uh, certainly a good thing to do. And in the short term, that can be a, a really good option. So hmm. we need we need to explore and develop some better models. For how to view these things, and not and there's nothing wrong with publicly traded securities, but they're not going to get you rich. They're going to preserve the capital that you've built through your own business or through your own employment.
1: Exactly, and that's that's kind of how I I view them too. You know, I think it's 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 uh, preservation preservation of capital. You know, like I will put the the money that I have made and either through my job or through my business. I do plan to invest that, probably a good a good amount of that over the long term in the stock market. But as far as when it comes to earning my money, I plan to earn it through my business. Right. Um, and I, I just feel like that's a good way to earn money because you have control over things. There, that's one of my biggest reasons why I have control over the income I make on my own business. I don't have control. I'm not running these publicly traded companies. You don't you don't have a ton of you don't have any control. You have zero control when you're. A, when, you, when you're investing in the stock, you don't have any control. Right. Whereas I have control over everything that happens in my own business.
0: Right. Excellent points all. Um, anything else you want to add here uh, specifically? Then, uh, and then I'll ask you to pimp your site so we see if we can get you some more, uh, some listeners to your podcast and, and your, uh, your blog. Anything else that you want to add, though?
1: No, I think we covered a good, good chunk of it. I, I just think that, like we talked about in Dallas, there's just not there's not one only one way to build wealth. There's not only one way to live your life. You know, where we're always taught just, you know, go to college, get a good job, then um, invest in, stay out of debt, invest fifteen percent into retirement accounts, and go about living your life. Uh, there's not one way to do it. And I as as you can see, I'm choosing a different way to do things. I mean, I'm not doing any of those traditional things. I'm not staying in a job, I'm not investing in retirement accounts, and, I'm, and I, when I was saving money, which I will be saving again soon, I don't stop at 15%. I go all the way up to as much savings as I can. If I can save 60, I save 60, And whereas this last year I saved zero. In fact, I've burned through some of my savings, so there's just not one way to do it. There's, it it's just what works for you. Um, just make sure that you do what's, what's true to yourself and don't just follow other people's people's rules for your life.
0: The only wrong way to do something is, is a, the only wrong strategy or plan is a strategy or plan that you can't defend. That would be my thought. And uh, it's kind of a clumsy way to say it, but what I mean is that I often, you know, when I was a younger financial advisor, I would have told you, I said, Craig, crazy, you have all this, you know, this money, you got you to gotta get this money out of your checking account. Like it's just sitting here, it's beating away at inflation. Um, because that was what I was taught, and that was what I took on. But then I, I did, I learned, I grew, and I recognized that my primary job was a lot of times just to, as a just try to, try to poke people and see if they, uh, see if they had a plan. And if a client had a plan, whatever that plan was, then that's fine. So there's a big difference between having a hundred thousand bucks sitting in the bank. Losing pace to inflation, earning point zero nothing you know percent rate of uh, of interest. There's a big difference between having that there because you just simply haven't found the right investment opportunity, and having it sit there because you're just lazy and haven't you know haven't wanted to think about it. And mm-hmm. so the key is having a plan that makes sense, and there are many plans that make sense uh, as long as they're thought through and and the best plan at any time, and the plan will change as time goes on. So you make a, you make a valid point, and I agree. Uh, if we can. If we can teach people, you know, if we can not just tell people, we'll, we'll steal the fish analogy, if we can't just tell people do this, but rather we can explain to them here's why you do this, then instead of having to follow a guru who is by definition limited because they're talking to everybody, mm-hmm. then we can teach people how to become their own guru through self-development, and that's really, that's really the message that I, that I love.
1: Yep, Exactly
0: website address for your uh for your businesses and for your financial blogs Uh, what are your website addresses
1: create my com. that's my blog and my podcast and i talk about creating independence so i mix personal finance in with business um it was initially more a lot more personal finance related as i built up my savings and built up my financial independence even if it was only partial financial independence but now it's steering much more towards business as it's it's relates to creating independent income so that you can take your life in the direction that you want to take it in. Right. That's CreateMyIndependence.com, And then I've also got Matthias media, M A T H I A S. It's not a heck of a lot there, but that's my business website. You can go learn more there.
0: Awesome. Craig, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
0: And that's the interview. Told you it would be good, right? <laughs> Told you that we would learn something. Craig, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciated it. I Really enjoyed speaking with you, and uh, I learned a lot just from our conversation. More than I had even learned when we were talking there in Dallas at the uh, at the Podcast Movement Conference, and. I want to take just a moment and highlight a couple of things that I learned from his story, and I'm try to do this uh, from time to time with these interviews to illustrate some of the themes that I observe. But here were some of the themes that I observed in Craig's story that seemed to me to be fairly constant when listening to people and their financial journeys. Number one, he had a moment of dissatisfaction. You know, dissatisfaction is a good thing. It really is. It, it it's a it's a signal. It's feedback. It's feedback that something should change. So he had that dissatisfaction about where he was at and the money that he that he owed, and he just owed money on one car. And in many ways, not that big a deal. Fairly normal thing to do, but for him, it was a big deal. Uh, number two, he found some resources and set out a plan, and that was what's so aw- that's what's so awesome about what Dave Ramsey does with getting out of debt. I mean, he does such an amazing job at giving such a clear, simple, straightforward plan to get out of debt. He says, "Do it this way. If you don't do it this way, you're wrong and you're stupid." Uh, <laughs> some people that's right. not. Some people though, that helps, and I tell you, man, more people have been helped by that in, than than anything else. And so he found a he, he found some resources and he followed a plan. Number three is that he took constant encouragement in while he was following that plan. Look at all of the great behavior change organizations of any kind, whether that's in building wealth and paying off debt, whether that's in losing weight or in, you know, avoiding whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or Weight Watchers or I don't know, I'm blanking on other examples, but all of these organizations that are successful in helping people accomplish some change, there's always constant, constant encouragement. Anytime that we're setting out to, to accomplish something, I think we got to set ourselves up with constant encouragement. That's what I hope this show can become to you, is constant encouragement. I really want to provide, in the same way that I was helped so much, by as Craig and I discussed in the interview, by listening to Dave Ramsey's show every every day, it'd be my dream that someday somebody could come back and say, "Joshua, I was so encouraged every day by listening to your show." In fact, it's not; it's an achieved dream. I've had people say that, and that's it. Just it makes my day. It, it's so it's such a rewarding, humbling feeling. Number four, while he was working and doing that plan, that didn't ec- exclude him from the from starting to build a platform to build his blog, I, I personally think in today's world, everybody needs um, everybody needs a platform. I, I know that Michael Hyatt has branded that word like crazy, but you know it's a good word. Everyone needs something that's outside of their uh, that's outside of their daily job. You need a plan B. And what was so interesting to me is that what he set out starting to build it on actually didn't wind up uh, continuing on. That isn't exactly what he uh, that isn't exactly what he uh, what he planned on. He started off with saying, "Okay, I'm going to talk about finance," and then it grew into so much more. So just get started and learn something. Learn you know, learn something. Next, he kept his expenses low. This is how financial planning interacts, and this is how the technical details of financial planning interact. He kept his expenses low, uh, and he built savings. So he had something to go on, and he didn't inflate his life. And because he didn't inflate his lifestyle, that puts very little pressure on a business. Now, if you already need $25,000 a month to maintain your lifestyle, that's fine. We can still figure something out. But if you only need $2,000 a month to live on, Because you're a single guy like he is, and you've kept your lifestyle fairly moderate. That's what an uh, amazing—it just sets sets you up. So he kept his expenses low. He built his savings, and that allowed him. He launched when the time was right. So as his job shut down and he got into a difficult situation, he left. And then once he left, he continued focusing on his skills and his learning. That was what I was so impressed with about with meeting Craig at the at the podcast movement conference, is that he was already earning a good amount of money from from his consulting work. He was able to help me with a couple of things just while we were sitting there talking at the conference. Oh, and here's, here's how cool it is when you can get these things integrated. So he went to Dallas for the Podcast Movement Conference. He had a client in Dallas, a web client that he consults for from up in Minneapolis, or not Minneapolis, he, he lives in Minnesota somewhere. So from up in Minnesota, he was consulting with his client in Dallas. He was able to stay with the client, I think, if my memory is correct, which saved him money while he was there in Dallas, writes off the trip to Dallas as a business expense, writes off the cost to the conference as a business expense and writes off because he's there visiting his client helping his client out with some work there. And that's how you can use the tax planning stuff and the business stuff and integrate that into what I'm sure was an enjoyable trip for him that he enjoyed. Business conferences are not all humdrum and boring. Even when they're legitimate, they're not all humdrum and boring. I'm not talking about taking some silly cruise where you do 10 minutes of learning and try to write that off. That doesn't fly. But, uh, I mean, a legitimate, a legitimate conference. Craig went to that conference, and we were just standing around talking. We were standing there talking, I think, at the FinCon table. Uh, Philip Taylor, uh, who writes at the blog PT Money, uh, part-time money, he... Had a had a table there because he lives in Dallas and he had a table there advertising the FinCon conference that gave those of us who were at the Podcast Movement conference a cool opportunity just to have a place to who were in the financial world who were there at the Podcast Movement conference a cool place to congregate and talk so I think Philip Taylor introduced me to Craig we got to talking we hit it off and we you know had a good thirty forty five minute sixty minute talk uh, I skipped the sessions and sat there and chatted with him well the cool thing is is that. A I made a new friend B I found an interview uh, an interviewee for my show C I found someone who knows what uh, who knows what he's doing with the financial stuff and with the with the WordPress stuff and so we're gonna try to work together and we were talking after we hung up the call and uh, we were gonna we're talking and we're gonna try to He's going to try to help me out. So I need some help on the technical aspects of this show. I'm not a techie as far as web stuff, and he's pretty good at that, and that's what his business is. And so we're going to try to see if we can start getting working together and helping each other uh, to grow. So he's got a new client out of it, and and we'll see as far as how our business relationship develops. But who knows? He could make back the cost of his conference manyfold just from one relationship. And I know that, he, that a lot of other business came out of that for him as well. So that's why things like conferences and and can be such a a win win, which is why they're part of that thousand percent formula. I think. Oh, last. Oh, uh, I was going to say that's all I wanted to share on on the Craig interview. I do have one more thing, real quick, and then I'm going to give you just a quick update on the show. What you can expect for the month of September, and then we're out of here for for today. Um, after we were talking, uh, after we hung up the, uh, from the Skype call, then was talking with Craig, and he was saying, oh, man, I forgot we should have set up something. So we talked and we figured it out, and we decided to set up something as uh, just for you, the audience, uh, for him coming on. Uh, Craig runs at his site, which is www.createmyindependence.com, at his site, he has he has a blog, he has a podcast, and he 's got some courses that he does he 's got some resources and some webinars about building the building his site and so what he decided to do is to offer a webinar for the radical personal finance audience it 's going to be a live webinar. Uh, he sent me the date it's going to he 's going to do it on Monday, September eight in the evening at, at nine eastern eight central if you 're in the United States. Go to www.createmyindependence.com/rpf. Create my www.create my. He told me you got to get the www in there. Create myindependence.com/rpf for radical personal finance, and he's going to be doing a webinar called "The Seven Steps to Creating and Growing a Business from Your Blog." And so, this is some of his learnings. You can see what he's done. He's grown. He's created and grown a business from his blog and he's, I spent some time talking with him. He's done a lot of studies, done a lot of research. And I think that would be a really great opportunity. And he's developed a course from it. Uh, he showed me what he will present in the webinar, sent me a copy of it. Looks like it's going to be an awesome uh, Information for free, and then he's got a course at the end of it that he uh, sells as well. Uh, that will have more information. So, if you're interested in that webinar, make sure to check it out. It's at www.createmyindependence.com slash rpf. Really looks like a like looks like a good uh, a good guy a good offering. He sent me the info to the course here to uh, check it out and and see what his course is that he sells. Uh, I'm going to check that out myself and see if I can get some tips out of there. So that's it for the interview. Last thing, update on the show. I want to thank you guys for listening. It was an awesome month last month. We doubled the, the listenership from the first month of the show here, which was July. So last month, August... Um, we wound up with 42,838 downloads of the show and that was just awesome and last week we've averaged uh, almost 2,000 downloads a day which is tremendous i have gotten so much good feedback from you guys of have emails the reviews things like that like i told you on last week uh, hit the, we wound up we were able to hit the front page of itunes which was a really cool uh, a really cool I never could have dreamed of that. So I thank each and every one of you who is listening. I thank each and every one of you who has told a friend. Uh, I would ask you, if you've enjoyed this, tell a friend. Uh, That would be how we can continue to grow the show. And that's my dream is to grow the show and help people. And the more we can grow it, the more that will you know we can figure out some way that it can free me up to spend more time tightening things up, doing a better job, editing the shows, doing a better job, being very concise. And it's just been so far so good. It's been awesome. And so I just want to thank you for that. Here in the month of September, I'm going to be traveling for the last two weeks of September. So normal shows this week and next week, I'll be in town With normal shows, i got a bunch of interviews lined up, and then I will be gone from the 15th through the end of the month. I'm going to do my best to leave you some shows during that time. I'll be going out to New Orleans for FinCon. Uh, FinCon 14 in New Orleans, which is formerly the Financial Bloggers Conference. It'll be really interesting. I'm looking forward to that. And then the week after that, I will be up in Pennsylvania at the American College, where I will be finishing. This is the final requirement for my master's degree in financial planning, which is something I've been wanting to finish up. So I've got to go up there for a residency requirement, and then I will be back I will try, do my best to leave you with shows during that time. What I expect to do is I expect to leave you with some interview shows that hopefully I'll be able to record between now and the time I leave for New Orleans. And then I will also leave you with some other shows that will be pre-recorded and also including hopefully some book reviews. I'm going to do some book reviews for you guys. Uh, of Some of my books that I really like, books that I didn't and uh, leave that for you. And uh, they'll probably be shorter. Maybe so, maybe not. I haven't recorded them yet. But that'll give you something to listen to while I'm gone. For those two weeks and September. And I just want to say again, thank you. Appreciate each and every one of you. Cheers. Now go create your independence.